Hey folks, it's Greg Allman with the Tampa Bay Times, tampabay.com, here on the Cannon Fodder Podcast uh, for the rare Friday non-preview podcast. Uh, still get one more in on Monday, uh, just under the wire before Monday Monday night's uh, Bucks-Falcons game on Monday night football. Uh, still lots more to get to. John Gruden coming to town for the uh, Ring of Honor on Monday night. Uh, I want to get you guys caught up on injuries. I- I've looked into the Bucks. Great history on Monday Night Football. Lots of randomness there. Uh, I will start out with injuries and the updates that the Bucks did practice yesterday. Uh, perhaps the most concerning of injuries is that Levante David was held out with a hamstring. Uh, and of course, the Bucks going back to our, our days with Lovey Smith and the injury report. Uh, do not take hamstrings lightly. Uh, so again, it's rare to see a hamstring injury that's enough to sideline somebody from practice and not hit them up for a couple games as well. Hopefully, for Levante David's sake, he can come back. Uh, Bucks did get, speaking of hamstrings, uh, did get Vernon Hargraves back yesterday. He's practicing for the first time in more than a month. Uh, it's like November 12th against the Jets is when he hurt his hamstring. Has not played or practiced since. Uh, but back yesterday, uh, an encouraging step as he tries to get back would definitely help with depth in the secondary. Um, Robert McClain has held up relatively well as the nickel. Um, has three interceptions tied for the team lead. Uh, but certainly better to get him back uh, if he can come back this week. The other one coming back, uh, TJ Ward, back from concussion yesterday. His first time back since he got concussed in the last game against the Falcons, uh, which was three weeks ago. Uh, three guys still out. Uh, well, actually, Gerald McCoy's out as well. Gerald McCoy has not practiced yet, is still hopeful uh, of being able to play on Monday, which is certainly not what we would have expected uh, after Sunday's game when he got taken out of the game fairly early on. Uh, Dirk Cutter made a point to say that uh, they've told, or they've been told, that Gerald does not require surgery for this biceps injury and that he cannot make things worse by playing. Uh, so the only real issue here in the next three days is what Gerald is able to do at what level he's able to go. Uh, we kind of play that game where it's like, at what percent is Gerald McCoy not better than the guy they would replace him with? Uh, so if he's a one-arm bandit, uh, maybe he can still find a way to be effective. Um, if he's at you know 70%, 70% of your Pro Bowl defensive tackle might be better than uh, the guy that you would be promoting from the practice squad or signing off the street or uh, dressing when you normally wouldn't dress. So we'll see on uh, Jeremy McCoy. Obviously, he's he's going to want to test that in practice before he tries anything in a game. So we'll we'll get an update on that. They practice Friday. They practice Saturday. So Monday's podcast will have a better sense in terms of whether Gerald's in play for Monday night or not. Uh, Jr. Sweezy held out with a shin injury, and uh, he seemed fine in the locker room. I don't know whether they're holding him as a precaution or whether that's uh, a serious injury. It, first day of practice is always kind of hard to tell which injuries are terrible and which are just giving somebody a day off. Uh, Joe Hawley is still sick. Uh, thoughts and prayers to Joe Hawley. Uh, this is 11 days ago is when he got sick before the Packers game and couldn't play. Was active on Sunday but did not play. Uh, I think he was kind of just an emergency backup there. So whatever Joe Hawley has, I hope he's better. Uh, that's, that's some serious illness to be here 11 days later and have him still unable to practice. So feel better, Joe Hawley. Uh, would like the chance, I'm sure, to go up against his old team against the Falcons on Monday night. So that's things from an injury perspective there. On the 
Falcons side of things, uh, a couple interesting names. You know, the last time they played the Falcons, they did not have to play Devontae Freeman because he had a concussion. Now Freeman is back. Tevin Coleman is dealing with a concussion. Uh, their guard, Andy Levitre, is also out yesterday. And there's one other one that I'm blanking on on who it is, and I don't have it in front of me, and I'm not going to pause the podcast just to tell you the third injured Falcon for the day. But we'll, we'll make a point on Monday to give you a much more thorough injury report that even includes, say, players' names. Uh, I want to get to Bucks on Monday Night Football. You know, it's funny. Usually you, you look up these obscure stats, and they're not always the friendliest stats for the Bucks. Uh, but I am surprised and uh, happy to report that the Bucks are 11-9 and in their history when playing on Monday. Uh, 20 times in, in more than 40 years. So again, a rare occurrence. Uh, has not happened often. Uh, but the Bucks not only are 11-9 and on Monday nights, they have won three straight. This is a Monday night train that we did not realize was there. So uh, I don't know if you guys remember these. But usually when I talk about Bucks and Monday night, everyone drifts back to 2003, the year after the championship, and that horrible loss to the Colts where they were up by 21 points with four minutes to go and lost. Uh, but anyway, we'll get back to that. that. That's an amazing game in itself. But just want to go back over the last three Bucks on Monday night games. Uh, lots of names there. You forget how quickly this roster churns in that uh, Bucks did play a Monday night last year at Carolina. It is that rare game that you can say was won on a Roberto Aguayo field goal as time expired. 17-14, the Bucks won at Carolina. Uh, we're up 6-0 at the half, down 14-6 in the third quarter and rallied back. Uh, defense stepped up, ran Grimes had an interception, and, uh, and your Bucks win 17-14. Now, the last time that the Bucks actually hosted a Monday night football game, and that's half the fun, is having the TV crew there, having the national spotlight on Tampa. Uh, the last time that happened was 2013, which is my first year full-time on the beat. Um, and you probably remember this. It's a game against the Dolphins on Monday night. And was also a Ring of Honor game. This was Warren Sapp's Ring of Honor game in 2013. Um, it's amazing the turnover. I'll challenge you guys. I did this on Twitter, so you might have already heard the answer. I apologize. Um, your first non-Star Wars spoiler warning of the day. Who was the leading rusher for the Bucks in their Monday night football win against the Dolphins in 2013? I'll give you a second. Think of your best guess. And know that I'm probably not asking this because it's an easy answer. Um, I'll give you a clue that Doug Martin was hurt in 2013. I'll give you a clue that Mike James broke his ankle early in the game, which meant a backup was pressed into a major role. That backup, I'm pausing just for effect here, as if this is some huge rollout on, in a reveal. Brian Leonard, leading rusher in that game. 20 carries for 57 yards. Brian Leonard, I, I'd covered a bit when he was at Rutgers uh, on Greg Schiano teams against USF and then came back and, and finished his career with the box. Uh, so Brian Leonard, 20 for 57, leading receiver in that game. Again, Tyquan Underwood came through with 3 for 64 in that game. Um, Bucks won 22-19, another game that was tight, and won on a Bobby Rainey touchdown with uh, four minutes left. Beat the Dolphins 22-19. So there's this history of tight games on Monday night. 
that the Bucks close out in the fourth quarter. I don't know that it's going to be the storyline on Monday night, but if it is, it would be a story we'd heard before of late. 2011, here's a good one for you. Bucks beat the Colts. Again, not the Monday night memory you have of the Bucks and Colts, but 2011, uh, the Bucks beat the Colts on Monday Night Football 24-17, get a touchdown from LeGarrette Blunt in the fourth quarter. And easily the thing that I have to digress for five minutes on from this game is that the Bucks gave up two catches to Pierre Garçon, two catches for 146 yards. Uh, the great Curtis Painter, I think we might have even referenced Curtis Painter when we were talking about the Bucks against young quarterbacks. That was the last time they beat a starting quarterback who had like 16 or fewer career starts was the Curtis Painter game in 2011. So we come back to it again in our Monday Night History digression here. Curtis Painter connects on two passes to Garcon, 87-yard touchdown, 59-yard touchdown. And that's the only touchdowns they had in that game. So I'm sitting there thinking like, wow, two for 146. And Garcon had like eight targets. Bucks did a really good job on the other six targets, don't get me wrong. But two for 146, and I'm like, I wonder where that ranks in NFL history for yards per catch in a game where you caught more than one ball. And yes, I do have the answers. Um, it is the fifth best all-time in NFL history for yards per catch on a game in which you had more than one catches. Um, I'll challenge you to think in your mind, who else might be on that list? Who else is good enough to get two catches averaging better than 73 yards a catch, but not get that third catch in the same game? Think for yourself. Two of them you're not going to get. I'm just telling you right now. My smartest, oldest, best trivia fan listening today, I'm calling you out. You don't know, okay? Uh, the two easy ones are Calvin Johnson. Again, Calvin Johnson, definitely great NFL receiver. Calvin had two for 154 in a game uh, with the great Dan Orlovsky throwing to him, former Bucks backup, Dan Orlovsky. Uh, he had a 96-yard touchdown, and he had a 58-yard catch. That's not nearly good enough to make it, though. Uh, Willie Galt, and again, I don't know if I can think of an NFL receiver more synonymous with ridiculous speed than late 80s Oakland Raider Willie Galt. Uh, Willie Galt went for two for 147 uh, in a 1989 game uh, with the great Jay Schrader throwing to him. 84-yard touchdown, 63-yard catch. But the two longest the best game for just two catches in the NFL in history. Runner-up goes to the great Dick Dorsey. Props to anybody out there that knows Dick Dorsey. Dick Dorsey played for the Raiders in 1962 and a loss to the Chargers. Had touchdown catches of 65 and 90 yards in the fourth quarter. So two huge touchdowns in the fourth quarter. The only two touchdowns of Dick Dorsey's career, and they both came in the same quarter, of a loss, no less. So that's two for 155. That's good for a 77-yard average. Not bad. But not as good as Homer Jones, our winner here, 1966, in a 34-34 tie. Uh, Giants-Steelers, Homer Jones catches two balls for 173 yards, which is an 86.5-yard average. Um, that's a 75-yard catch and a 98-yard touchdown from Earl Morrill. Earl Morrill, I remember, uh, obviously, he was with the 72 Dolphins. I had a 76 Tops football card of Earl Morrill, I believe. Um, did not know Homer Jones. I, I, I probably should know who Homer Jones is 
three-time thousand-yard receiver with the Giants in the 1960s. But anyway, tell your friends, Pierre Garçon, two for 146, not nearly as good as Dick Dorsey and Homer Jones. I want to go back. Uh, we're talking about the Bucks and Monday Night Football. I have to go back to this 2003 game, which is just insane. I believe I was there. It's bad that I don't know for sure, but I think I was there helping out. 03, I was still kind of helping out on the Bucks here and there. Uh, was a high school reporter for the Times, but I think I helped out, maybe ran quotes at that game. The game is vivid in my mind. I can remember, I think, being in the end zone behind the goalpost. But just to set the scene for you, Bucks are defending Super Bowl champs. It's uh, early October in 2003. Tony Dungy comes in with the Colts. Uh, Bucks are up 28 to seven in the fourth quarter. Okay, give up a touchdown, then they get a, a Rondé Barber pick six. So it's 35-14, up 21 with four minutes to play. Uh, again, everybody in the press box has written their story. Back then, you could go back down on the field. There's probably writers down on the field because six minutes left, you could go down and be on the field at the end of games back in the day. 35-14 with four minutes left. Um, it's amusing. Brad Pyatt? Do you remember Brad Pyatt? I do remember having like an 03 football card of Brad Pyatt. But Brad Pyatt of the Colts has a 90-yard kickoff return to set up a touchdown. With 3.43 left, they get a touchdown to get within two scores. They go onsides, recover the onsides kick, Manning to Harrison for another touchdown. Now they're within a score with 2.35 left. Go onsides again, the great Aaron Stecker, who I guess was a major back in this game, not only recovered the onside kick, but then was the running back at the end of this game. Uh, does not close it out, though. They get a Kenyatta Walker penalty to set up like third and 27. They punt. Even when they punt, though, Indy's at their own 15 with 141 to play. Again, they have Peyton Manning at quarterback. Don't get me wrong. So Peyton Manning, from his own 15, gets a 52-yard pass to, to Marvin Harrison. Gets a Ricky Williams touchdown with 38 seconds left to tie the game. Bucks actually get it back and have a chance to win in regulation. So you give up a 21-point lead in the last four minutes and still have a chance to win without overtime. And Martin Gramatica's 62-yard field goal is blocked on the final play. They go to overtime. Uh, Bucks get the ball, get down like inside the like the 40-yard line. Can't get it done. They punt. Again, Peyton Manning goes three for three on third downs on a drive. They line up for a 40-yard field goal, no good. Simeon Rice gets a penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct. I don't even remember. I'm, I'm looking at a box score to read this last part here. Simeon Rice penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct gives him a penalty. 29-yard field goal. They win with 350 left in overtime. You can't even get to 350 left in overtime. Or I'm sorry, you can't get you can get to 350 left in overtime. You can't go 11 minutes into overtime anymore. That's a tie in today's NFL. And the Bucks win. Peyton Manning goes 34 of 47 for 386. He and Marvin Harrison absolutely at their prime. Uh, the last thing that I'm just uh, again amazing game. That game. Again, I'm pretty sure I was there. I can't, I can't vouch for it. I couldn't find a clip because like 2003 in the Times website is like, uh, it's the equivalent of like 3000 BC where there's some recorded history, but we can't really find it easily. So I, again, I'm pretty sure I was there. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the first Bucks win on Monday Night Football. Uh, again, my older listeners might remember this. 1982, second time Bucks are on Monday Night Football. They won November 29, 1982. 
my brother Steve, I'll give him a shout out, was born six days earlier. Uh, happy, happy belated birthday to my brother Steve. But 1982, they beat the Dolphins 23-17. This is a good indication, and again, we, we could have done this with the Super Bowl era Bucks in how much the Bucks leaned on their defense back then, okay? They won 23-17. Doug Williams, 7 of 19 for 81 yards for the game. Seven completions, 81 yards, and they won. Uh, they got Don Strock to throw four interceptions. David Woodley came off the bench for another one. And... Uh, Bucks get a 23-17 win. David Woodley, by the way, I just want to give a shout out. I lived in Orlando from like uh, 82 to 87. And my first real, I like Ken Anderson in his Bengals day. But but I think the first guy I really liked as an NFL quarterback was David Woodley. Had like this garish, teal, aqua, I guess it's aqua, uh, Dolphins jacket that I wore around as like a second and third grader. Love David Woodley. Um, I think I had to have seen David Woodley around like 82. He went 18-5-1 as a starter over two seasons. But I, I like didn't like when the Dolphins drafted that Dan Marino guy because I really thought Woodley was pretty good. Uh, not the best uh, elementary school football take back in the day, but um, that's my David Woodley story. Falcons have been on Monday Night Football twice as much as the Bucks. Uh, Bucks have been 20 times. Falcons have been... 40 times on Monday Night Football, but they are 13-27 and 27 in those 40 games. So not always where they play their best. The Falcons have also won three straight, much like the Bucks. Something's got to give there. Um, but the Bucks and, and these Falcons' wins are fairly impressive. They beat Seattle on Monday night earlier this year, just less than a month ago, four weeks ago. Beat the Seahawks 34-31. Beat the Saints last year. Beat the Eagles in 15. That's their three straight. Um... Matt Ryan has been on Monday Football 10 times, which is impressive. Uh, obviously, James Winston only once, but Matt Ryan's been on 10 times. Uh, he's thrown multiple touchdowns in seven straight games on Monday Night Football. Uh, just four and three in those games, but uh, 16 touchdowns against five picks in his last seven Monday Night games. Uh, again, I, I don't need to tell you there's definitely a threat that Matt Ryan throws more than one touchdown uh, on Monday Night. But uh, Matt Ryan just four and six in his career on Monday night, so I don't want to knock that. Um, definitely beatable on Monday night. Uh, I went and looked up uh, Dirk Cutter on Monday night. Got all kinds of obscure Monday night history here on the podcast. Uh, Dirk Cutter for his career, okay, uh, three and seven for his career. Uh, got the win last year as an assistant, just two and seven on Monday Night Football. One and three with the Falcons. One and four with the Jaguars. Uh, got a big win with Atlanta, beat Peyton Manning in 2012. Uh, had an absolute gunfight with Aaron Rodgers, lost to Aaron Rodgers in 2014. Uh, my favorite uh, cutter on Monday night, this is a cutter uh, Monday night game in Jacksonville in 2011. Beat the Ravens 12-9, one without an offensive touchdown. Four field goals, got, the, got it done. Uh, <laughs> Blaine Gabbard. Uh, again, 2011 probably was a tough year for Dirk Cutter in that uh, it was his last year in Jacksonville on Del Rio staff, and I, I think he kind of got force-fed Blaine Gabbert as a rookie. I don't know that he wanted Blaine Gabbert to be the quarterback. They still had, uh, I guess they would have had uh, David Garrard, who had done pretty well, but again, uh, he put a first-round pick into Blaine Gabbert. you got to play Blaine Gabbert. Uh, Blaine Gabbert went 9 of 20 for 93. So again, two quality 
wins by quarterbacks that didn't throw for 100 yards or complete 10 passes here on our Monday night uh, nostalgia. Uh, Mojo D goes for 105 in that game. Uh, Jaguars defense held Baltimore to 146 total yards. But again, that's one of only three Monday night wins for Dirk Cutter. Um, this Monday night would be huge. If he can get a win on John Gruden night, uh, needing a win to kind of get some momentum back for his team as he's trying to fight for his job, that'd be a, a huge story on Monday night. I have rambled for 20 minutes here, and appreciate those of you that are still listening somehow. Uh, no more references to Homer Jones or Curtis Painter or Aaron Stecker or anyone else. We'll have uh, much more about this year's Bucks and this year's Falcons on Monday as we kind of... Uh, do the last preview of the big game on Monday night. It's exciting to have Monday Night Football here. Lots of John Gruden talk. And uh, we'll have more on Monday. So you guys enjoy the weekend. Enjoy a, a buck-free Sunday, uh, which we have not had in quite some time. Uh, I guess the Thursday game would be the last one. But uh, thank you guys for listening, for putting up with my ridiculous rambling here. Uh, this will do it for the Cannon Fodder Podcast. Until Monday, thanks again for listening. This is Greg Allman for the Tampa Bay Times, tampabay.com. Talk to you guys on Monday.